Let us hear the word of our God, Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, as we begin today, I want us to think uh, about philosophies and uh, worldviews and what people uh, basically would say about how they understand life. Now, when I mention this, some of you might think, oh boy, here we go. You know, I can't understand this philosophical stuff. We talk about Kant or Nietzsche or Aristotle or whatever, and I can't understand those things. They're just over my head. And in one sense, I can understand that. I, uh, it takes more effort for me to understand philosophy compared to theology. But, you know, every one of us has a philosophy of life. The question is, what is it? How do we explain it? For some of us, our philosophy of life is, I just want to make money. I want to have things, and so I need money, and maybe this gives me power and influence and prestige and so on. Other people, their philosophy of life is to avoid pain. And so we do all these things to avoid pain. Possibly it's entertainment uh, or something to suppress the pain, like alcohol or whatever it is. Uh, Finding fun things to do. Other people want to be known as a nice person or a religious person or something to that effect. But all of us have a philosophy of life. But you know, for all the complexities that philosophy may have, It really boils down to one simple idea. Does your philosophy suppress the truth about God, or does it uphold the truth about God? It's going to do one or the other. And so if you take a philosophy class sometime, or hear about it or read about it, the question is really simply this. Is this worldview, is this position suppressing the truth about God, or is it upholding it? It really comes down to that question. And so in that sense, philosophy is easy to understand. Well, last time, of course, we started this uh, major section here, uh, well, two times ago, I should say. And last time, Paul then explains to us that God is angry with us because we suppress the obvious truth about his existence and who he is. Everyone knows that the God of the Bible is the true God. They just refuse to accept it. Now, some people don't know him by name, but everyone knows the true and living God. But what has happened is we now twist that knowledge into something else and we suppress it. Now, notice that Paul does not say that we understand there's some power or force out there, some kind of God or whatever. 
He says, no, we know many things about him. <laughs> we know that this God is all-powerful and he is eternal. He is all-knowing. He is wise and just and good and unchanging. He is the only God. We, everyone knows these things about him. In fact, we even know that the God that has made all things is gracious and merciful. Now, not gracious and merciful unto salvation, but the fact that he would give food and shelter and good things to rotten sinners and enemies tells us that he is good and kind. All this knowledge is not found in the scriptures. It's found in what God has made. Now, obviously, we learn these things in the scriptures too, but we don't need the Bible to understand these things about God. All we need to do is look at the plants and the animals, ourselves in the mirror. All we need to look at are the mountains and the oceans, the stars, the minerals, the atoms. These things tell us about God and who he is. All this knowledge then requires us to believe in him and obey him. But the natural man refuses and does everything he or she can to ignore these truths. Now, some will do it belligerently, and everyone knows that they don't want to believe in God. Other people do it with a smile on their face and maybe even sit in church. But God is angry with the sinful man because we suppress the obvious truths about him, and so he reveals his wrath against us. This is Paul's point here in this part of his letter. Now, Paul now moves to the next thought. The next thought is, right, we know God exists, we suppress that truth, and now he's going to explain ways of how we suppress that truth and ignore the truth about God. So in verse 21, he says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 19 also began with because. We see that here. God is angry because he has clearly made himself known, and instead we suppress the truth. Well, now his point is, we all know God. We have no excuses, and yet we refuse to worship him. We refuse to give him thanks and replace God with creaturely things. And so because of this, God is angry, and rightfully so. And so here's the overall point. Now let's break it down a little bit. First of all, notice it says, although they knew God, or you could translate it, having known God. We've always known God since the creation of the world, right? Verse 20. He told us that every individual from the moment of their birth knows that God exists. There is never a time when someone does not know the true God. Okay, now, this does not mean that we know God unto salvation. Paul is not saying that. We just know that he exists and we know many things about God, but we suppress those things. We don't know him unto salvation. The unbeliever knows and does not know in this sense. He has knowledge, as we've seen in verses 18 and 20, but yet he is antagonistic against God, and there's no relationship there in that sense. Okay. But instead of acknowledging this God, instead of worshiping him, even though he knows him, instead of looking to God, okay, we turn to something else. 
We do not give glory to our Creator. We do not give glory to our sovereign God. We do not thank Him for giving us food, shelter, clothing, work, relationships, and many other good things. We are ungrateful. And so this, too, is another act of suppression, isn't it? We suppress the truth about God, and we don't worship him. We suppress the truth about God in our minds, and so we don't give him thanks. And this is more suppression. And so as we look out and we see the leaf on the tree, instead of saying, wow, God is all-powerful, God is amazing, I should worship him for making this leaf. And, and instead of thanking him for giving us a leaf that will give us oxygen to breathe, we explain it away and ignore it. We suppress these truths and replace it with something else. Instead, as Paul says, we think empty thoughts and our souls go dark. Now, <clears throat> this began from the beginning. Right? As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they started doing these things. Okay? Remember, of course, as soon as they ate, they recognized their shame. And then they tried to cover that shame with leaves, with their own efforts, and that didn't work. And then they hid from God, and they shifted blame to others, and to God even, and even more. Right from the beginning, we see that every single human being does this kind of thing, suppressing the truth, not worshiping God, not giving thanks to him, and thus becoming dark in our minds. Our reasoning becomes foolish and futile, worthless and empty. As we might say, we don't think straight. Okay? We cannot think correctly when we're suppressing the truth about God. Now, we still use reason and logic. We have all kinds of smart people out there. We use deduction and so forth. But in the end, it's futile. It's empty. It's nothing. Because we suppress the truth. We do things that dishonor God rather than giving him praise. We then, once we have done this, we, we then say, well, you know, it's kind of hard to know the truth. Uh, the, the truth is unclear. It's a bit fuzzy. And we can't say for sure. And, or we become convinced that error is truth. But Paul says it's really not that complicated. We know the truth. We suppress the truth. And so we can't even think correctly because of it. Okay? We don't really have understanding or intelligence. Again, there are very smart people out there. And they can do some things with their minds. But their ultimate philosophy of life is a suppression of what is obvious to everyone. Paul also mentions the heart here. And of course, in the scriptures, the heart typically means the whole of the inner self, which includes the mind, as well as the will and the emotion. And so our whole inner selves are not filled with light and truth, but now with darkness, with error. We are senseless. We cannot see the obvious. And so when we look at that leaf, Instead of saying, wow, look at God, we say, wow, look at the power of evolution. When we look at the hurricane or even just the light rain that's falling now, we say, wow, the power of Mother Nature is truly amazing, isn't it? Okay. We suppress this truth and reject God 
and we don't give him thanks. Now, <clears throat> to say all this in another way would be to put it something like this. Every philosophy, every worldview, every way of thinking, every religion that's not true biblical Christianity is just simply an effort of rejecting the truth and replacing it with something else. It's really that simple. So if you were to read about Plato and all of his, his uh, complex ideas with the world of forms and the world of contingency and so forth, and these world of forms are, are out there and they're, they're above God and so on and so forth, right? it can be hard to follow what he says. But in the end, what he has done is he's replaced God with the world of forms. He has suppressed the truth. Well, Aristotle said, I don't believe the world of forms are out there. I believe they're actually in the things here on earth. And so he moves it down into the world of contingency. It's a kind of panentheism and such. And, and you know, it's rather confusing to follow all of his thoughts and so forth. But in the end, really, what he's doing is suppressing the truth and replacing it with something else. It's that simple. Hey, you could go and you can do all kinds of studies about the Greek pantheon or the Roman pantheon of gods and so forth. And, and you've got Zeus or Jupiter and all these other gods and so forth that control certain parts of the world and this, that, and the other. And yet all it is is a suppression of the truth that God is three persons in one God. And that he controls everything. It's a suppression of the truth. Or you could go to a religion such as Islam. And they retain some truths because they claim to have descended from Abraham through Ishmael. But, of course, they suppress many truths about God. In particular, they suppress the truth that God is personal and that you can have a relationship with him. And they suppress the truth that we are such terrible sinners that there's nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven. But they set up this system where you pray all these times and you have the month of Ramadan and you do all these things and somehow that will get you to heaven, especially if you go kill some people. <laughs> but you know, it's not just out there. There are churches that do the same thing. Churches that emphasize certain attributes of God fall prey to this too. And I mentioned one here just a few weeks ago when we talked about verse 18. There are many churches today, professing Christians, that refuse to believe that God is a God of wrath. But as they suppress this truth, to uphold God being loving and good, they have now exchanged the true God for something else. Or if you go to a church that emphasizes earning your way to heaven, whether it's a woke church or those who say faith is the work that we keep to go to heaven... Or you have to be immersed or speak in tongues or do the sacraments. Or the church that wants to be like the world, not just in the woke sense, but they believe in the old earth. Or they uh, believe in Pride Month or whatever it is. Okay. Or you go to the church that emphasizes knowledge and doctrine and understanding. But not really emphasize the fact that we have a relationship with God as well. Or you go to the church that emphasizes feelings and emotions, and I feel God, and, and when I don't feel God, then something's, you know, just terrible. And, and, uh, or you go to a church that just emphasizes activities. You know, there's something going on every day, and as long as you do all these things, then God's going to be happy with you. 
You know, the list is endless. You, you see what's happening. If it's not true, sound, biblical Christianity, any other worldview, any other way of life, any other religion, even in churches, it's really an effort of suppressing the truth and replacing it with something else. It's not that complicated. Our sinful tendency, even as true believers, is to do these things, to change the truth about God, add our efforts, and so forth. We want to control God. We still want to sit on the throne. Our old man is still there. It's not gone yet. God has saved us by his grace. But even the true believer you know, it just feels a bit uncomfortable with the true God. We want to make him a bit more palatable. We, we want to tell him what to do. We want to control him in some way. And this is Paul's overall point in this, this section. Every one of us deserves judgment. But you know, all throughout, we think we're being wise. We think we're being rational, enlightened, logical. People write books about all these different philosophies. They teach at universities. They lead religious movements. And because every one of us suppresses the truth, millions of people follow these other positions and worldviews and so on. It's a very wide road. And so notice what Paul then says in verse 22. He says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Right? We think that our, our, our great erudition and logic and reason and so on and so forth is, is somehow uh, all that special, but it's just foolishness. Okay. And let me read a moment here. This is from... Uh, James Montgomery Boyce's commentary, and, and first of all, he's quoting from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, Instead of accepting revelation, people become philosophers. And what is a philosopher? A philosopher is a man who claims that he starts by being skeptical about everything, that he's an agnostic. I'm going to have the data and the facts, and I'm going to apply my mind to it, and I'm going to reason it out, I'm going to work it out. And that is exactly what such men have done. They have become foolish and wicked in their reasonings, in their thoughts, in their conjectures and speculations and surmisings. And what is the cause of it all? Paul says, we suppress the truth. And then Brett Boyce says, Paul's point is that such persons are not being honest with the data and the facts that they claim to be treating. And the reason they are not honest with the data is they do not like the direction to which the data points them. Therefore, instead of using their minds to recognize and pursue the truth, they use them to provide philosophical justifications for their actions and their sin. Okay. Now, you know, it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, obviously unbelievers do that. Okay. You think of Plato and Aristotle, or you think of uh, other unbelievers like Kant and, and uh, people today in our various... Um, worldviews and so forth but it's not just the unbeliever and the pagan that does these things what so often happens in the church is we combine truth with error 
we hold on to some of the truths in the scriptures, and we don't suppress those, but then we suppress others, and we don't see how they don't fit together. And so you think of Aquinas here roughly a thousand years ago. He combined Christian thought with the teaching of Aristotle. Or go back before that, Origen combined Christian thought with the teachings of Plato. Today, we have churches that combine truth with liberalism, whether it's the mainline church or the woke evangelical churches today. But all of this is changing God into another God. And so Paul then is saying next in verse 23, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now, obviously, I've been anticipating this verse. Basically, Paul is saying, when we suppress the truth about God, we become idolaters. That's really what it is. We can give it some great, fancy, philosophical terminology, but we really are becoming idol worshipers. And history is filled with all kinds of idols. Now, notice that... um, he talks about this exchange. Okay? We're not exchanging dollars for, for pounds or yen or something like that. Right? We're changing the glory of the incorruptible God. Your translation may say the immortal God here, right? God who does not die, into an image made like corruptible or mortal man. Something that does die. Something that God has made. And if it isn't a human image, it's an animal image. Creeping things here likely is a reference to reptiles, okay, but basically it's replacing God for something that God has made, okay, and oftentimes it's a combination of those things. Now, I, I'm not exaggerating to say there are literally thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, but you know many of these things have been destroyed over the years, uh, but, but innumerable in many ways examples throughout history, of idols. And again, an idol is just simply an effort to replace God with something that we can control, something that we have made. So in the scriptures, we might talk about Baal or Asherah, Molech or Dagon. Uh, If you go to Egypt, obviously you talk about the sun god in particular, Ra, but they had many others. Uh, If you go to Greece, you have obviously Zeus and so on, or Aphrodite, the fertility goddess. Um, And many of these have human and animal characteristics. Um, Now, if we had a great multimedia thing here, I'd just pop up a whole bunch of pictures for you to look at. But obviously we don't, and for very deliberate reasons. Uh, But I encourage you to, to take some time this week and just do a brief search on idols that we have found Uh, that have been used historically, and you will find all kinds of things. Some of them are very primitive in their creation. Some of them are very detailed. Some of them are are fascinating in a sense of what you learn from it, um, and, and so on. But, of course, today, we don't have as many figurines established on our mantelpieces at home or in some temple or something to that effect. Um, but we still have idols today. uh, When we use the term idol, we often mean the movie star or the rock star or the the sports star. They are our idol. 
But of course, anything really can become an idol. Anything can replace God in our lives. And that's what an idol is. And we are driven to have them. It's not just, oh, we made a bad turn back there and we ended up in idolatry. No, every part of our our sinful self desires to worship something other than God, to suppress the truth about who he is. Every thought we have, every feeling we have, every decision we make because of our sinfulness, we desire to replace God with something else. And so don't think, well, that's just, you know, a few people way back then did that. We all do it, even as Christians. We still have this tendency because of our old man that is within us. Now, let me just run down a list here of some of our idols today. And this, too, is a rather endless list. Maybe some have argued that the biggest idol that we have in our culture today is the idol of identity. And I think they make some good points in that sense. And the one that we hear more than anything else, of course, is gender identity, the gay movement, people who identify as a man or a woman or something to that effect. This is an obvious suppression of the truth, right? God made us male and female. Gender identity and all that is suppressing that truth and replacing it with something else. This is an idol. This is why God is angry. Okay? But, you know, all of us identify as something. Right? Some of us identify as being smart or intelligent. And right, we act that way. You know, we have a big library of books. Or we dress a certain way. And I'll never forget when I was in college, there was a young man that, that I knew, and, um, and he was just... Uh, so intent on becoming a scholar. And so he dressed a certain way, talked a certain way, started smoking a pipe. He had his hair a certain way. I mean, he had, you know, one of those scholarly hats on, you know. I mean, just, he looked the part. That was his identity. But others of us, we identify as a redneck or a farmer or, you know, a blue-collar person, and we dress a certain way. You know, we wear boots and we wear flannels. You know, we don't wear a suit and tie or something. You know, we have a certain identity. We talk a certain way. We, we go to rodeos. or I mean, things are just very different from the scholar, but it's still our identity. And this, too, becomes our worldview, our philosophy of life. Now, for each of these things, there are some good things about them. But what we do is we suppress the truth and replace the truth with these other things. Instead of identifying as, I am made in God's image, and all of my identity is found in him through Jesus Christ, no, we find our identity in these other things. Or we combine it as Christians, and we have some things that are good and some things that are done for sinful reasons. Hey, I could continue. We could talk about doctors and politicians hey, and, and many other things. Um, some people identify as being tough. And we're not just talking about the person that can lift lots of weights, but those who can grin and bear it, the hardships of life. Or those who want to identify as being funny or the life of the party or those who want to identify by being likable and nice. 
You know, our identity, our philosophy of life, may very well be the biggest idol that we have in our lives. But true biblical Christianity says our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in being made in the image of God. Don't suppress that truth and replace it with something else. But again, Paul's point here is we are all sinners and we all do suppress that truth and try to replace God with something else. And that's why we deserve judgment and that's why our only hope is in Jesus Christ. That's his overall point. Again, I could give us an endless list here. We can talk about idols like people who want money or things. Our job can be our idol, the things that we do, our talents, our hobbies. People have an idol for power or status. Uh, Physical appearance obviously is an idol. Where was I? I was in the airport here going to General Assembly, and there was this young lady just standing there, you know, putting eye stuff on, you know, I'm just like... Oh, come on, you're an you're attractive young lady. Why are you trying so hard? You know, okay, but this was her idol. This was her identity, okay? Obviously, entertainment can be an idol for us, sex or drugs or alcohol. Okay. Comfort is a very big idol in our culture, isn't it? Okay. Have you heard how they are now putting litter boxes in closets in the public schools because kids are identifying as cats? We might call them safe spaces, but comfort has become God. And, and of course, right, when we're upset, we want our comfort food. When we had a bad day, we want something to comfort us. Maybe we pull out a beer or something. But our idol is comfort. Obviously, technology, our smartphones, now AI is taking over everything, maybe literally, um, hey, but good things can be idols as well. Our family, our children, hey, being known as a good mom or an effective evangelist or a profound preacher. Inherently good things, behaviors, abilities, ideas can all readily become idols when we suppress the truth about our God, even as true believers. And we exchange truth for something that makes us feel important. And so again, Paul's point here is, we all do this. It isn't just the Gentile that does this. It isn't just the person at the bar that does this. Or the person that never darkens the door of the church. Every one of us suppresses the truth about God. We don't worship him. We don't give him thanks, certainly not as much as he deserves. And so we, we replace then what is good and right and true with something else. And you can understand God's not very happy about that. And so every philosophy, every religion, every thought, every practice, every movement is driven by a desire to ignore the truth, and to live life without God. Even in certain ways among true believers because of our old man. So let me give you a list now here briefly of some philosophies. Some are named after the person who came up with it. So Platonism, Aristotelian uh, thought, 
uh, Kantianism, Marxism, okay, uh, and, and these things may conjure up certain memories that you studied about them, or you're like, I have no idea what these guys taught, okay, but they do affect us. Uh, I, we could also list off a whole bunch of things that don't have a person's name, such as existentialism or stoicism or hedonism, logical positivism, rationalism, empiricism, evidentialism, relativism, behaviorism, humanism, secularism, and I could keep going. Okay. Now it's important that we understand what these different views are and try to understand how it impacts us today. But don't get all caught up in all the complexities. Every single one of them that I mentioned is just simply suppressing the truth about God and trying to replace it with some other way of explaining life. It's that easy to understand. And so whether you're talking about epistemology or metaphysics or ethics or political theory or aesthetics or science or the everyday philosophy that governs every one of us, okay, history is an example of suppressing the truth. The history of philosophy, even the history of the church to some degree. Okay. And so Paul's point here is simply <clears throat> that because we do not worship God and we worship the creature rather than the creator, then very simply we are breaking the first and second commandments. And God's not happy with Ultimately, we want to be God and tell God what we want him to do for us. And so whether we use a figurine or some rational thought or some kind of behavior, these ways of suppressing the truth about God and breaking his law are just simply forms of idolatry. Okay. The suppression of the truth is a full-time endeavor, as one commentator says. And that's because God's revelation is always speaking. You cannot get away from it. And so if one philosophy fades out, another one's just going to take its place. If we, in our lives, okay, go from focusing on a certain identity and then we kind of lose interest, right, like kids do, you know, they lose interest in, in uh, uh, you know, the cartoons when they're young, as they grow up, right, and then they start getting into other things. You know, as we lose interest and shift, really, it's just another um, uh, way that we transition to what is not true and right. We distort the message. Now, I know that this kind of teaching makes us feel kind of bad, right? We don't want to hear these things. But Paul is saying, if we don't understand how sinful we are, how are we going to ever look to God for salvation? If we don't see how rotten we are in every single way, we're not going to think we need Jesus. We may say we need Jesus, but it's not our words that are important. It's do we really trust in him? And that's what Paul is driving at here uh, in this section. Okay. So uh, let me um, conclude with a couple thoughts here in this way. <clears throat> we need to remember here, first of all, that these are deliberate choices that we make. It's not just something that happens. We deliberately 
choose to suppress truth and replace it with something else. We deliberately look at the splendor and majesty and greatness of God. Right Again, just look outside, you see it. Everywhere we look, we see it. And we deliberately replace it with the bland, the plain, the common, the mortal. It's total foolishness. So as true believers who are trying to uphold the truth of the scriptures and not suppress it, I'm not saying don't don't study the philosophies and worldviews and philosophies of life. I think we should understand them. But again, every one of them is just simply efforts to suppress the truth. And so don't get carried away with the identity politics. Don't get carried away with this latest movement. Don't think that... um, you know, science is now going to teach us about these things, and we should just follow along like lemmings. Okay? Every single one of these things is saying, I don't want to believe in God in some way. And so we must be discerning and be very careful that we don't jump on the bandwagon and suppress the truth in some way. We must stick with the scriptures. And, and, and have this inform us in how we live. So whether it's a desire to follow the latest philosopher or the desire to follow the latest fad in fashion, okay, every one of these things is going to suppress the truth in some way, so let's focus our attention on what the Scripture does say and hold on to it and find our identity in that and may it drive us in everything that we do. And may the scripture continue to expose us in our natural efforts to suppress the truth. To encourage us, to strengthen us, to enable us by God's spirit so that we won't do these things. And yet I get off on a tangent here. That's not Paul's point here in this passage. And yet, as true believers, we need to be instructed in this way too. All right, now, two last thoughts. And the first one is this. Paul's next point is to say, if we suppress the truth and we replace God with all these different idols, then it's no surprise that we live in some crazy sinful way. So verses 24 to 32 are Paul's ways of saying, it's no surprise if we got our minds and our hearts all messed up that our lives are going to be messed up too. And that's what he's going to describe in this next part. And the last thing I want to mention here briefly is this. <clears throat> I would like to, to take a week next time um, and focus on the issue of apologetics. Now, I had planned to do this even before Dale did his Sunday school class. And, um, and I, I, I decided to continue with my plan because probably two-thirds of you were not part of Dale's Sunday school class. <laughs> so I want to, <clears throat> as it were, fill in the gaps, so to speak, uh, and address these things. And so this isn't, uh, you know, because I'm displeased with what Dale taught. That's not the point. It was my plan initially, and again, I think it's because many of us weren't here that it would be helpful to talk through some of these things. But, but these verses, verses 18 to 23, are extremely important in this 
uh, endeavor of apologetics. And so I wanted to uh, spend a little bit of time on that. So we're going to do that first, uh, is my plan, and then we'll look at Paul's next point of how uh, our wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. All right. Well, let's pray uh, as we conclude today. Our Father and God, we are um, so thankful for your word, and uh, even a word like this that is so pointed and uh, exposes us in our sin, it certainly does not make us comfortable, and we'd rather ignore it. But Lord, we do see here from your word that uh, our life is one effort after another to ignore you and try to live life without you in one way or another. Um, Lord, forgive us for this. Um, We are thankful, Lord, that though we deserve your wrath, for your people you have provided salvation, that Christ has come and never suppressed the truth, and never looked to anything that you made to worship and, and to be unthankful or any of these things, but perfectly obeyed in our place, and then took the punishment that we deserve. We are so thankful for this, Lord. And yet, Lord, we also recognize that you have declared us to be righteous, but we're not yet righteous. And so our old man is still very much alive and uh, influencing us and pressuring us to suppress the truth and so forth. And so, Lord, we uh, ask that you would help us to see the ways that we do this so that we then can suppress those sinful things and hold on to what is true and what is right and to live for you and to honor you in all things. And so, Lord, we pray for these many uh, results and that you would uh, graciously work in us here in these ways. But most of all, Lord, we praise you as we sung at the beginning how great you are and that uh, all creatures of our God and King, we, we praise you and give you our hallelujahs for you alone are God. You alone are worthy of our worship and our thanksgiving. And so we praise you in these things. We pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen.